Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. There was a time in America when hitchhiking was the norm. Just another mode of transportation for people to use to get from point A to point B. Today, hitchhiking has a stigma of being a death wish because one too many people that got picked up for a ride never were heard from ever again. These are four mysterious and frightening hitchhiker hunters. Number four, Santa Rosa hitchhiking murders. Just 15 miles from the coast of California in Sonoma County lies the small town of Santa Rosa. But beneath its good looks and charm, there was something truly disturbing. It started on March 6, 1972, when two young men were out joyriding on a hilly stretch of road, and they came across the lifeless body of a young woman. The police identified it to be that of 19-year-old Kim Wendy Allen, Her hands and ankles were bound. She had been strangled to death and sexually assaulted. She had died not even 24 hours prior, 
And while she was the first body to be discovered, she wasn't the only victim. On December 28th, the bodies of Maureen Sterling and Yvonne Weber, both 12-year-old middle school students, were discovered. The girls had disappeared 10 months earlier on February 4th when they were dropped off at the Redwood Empire Ice Arena around 9 p.m. by one of the girls' mothers. When she came back a couple hours later, she couldn't find them. The friends were last seen on Guerneville Road hitchhiking, their bodies discovered 66 feet below the bottom of a cliff, and it appeared that someone had thrown them off it. Another body, that of 13-year-old Lori Cursa, was found on December 14th on an embankment in Colistoga. Lori was thought to have run away, something she had done before, at which time she probably hitchhiked in order to get out of town. Witnesses came forward saying they saw her being forced into a van by two men with a third Caucasian male who had an afro hairstyle that was behind the wheel. Three more bodies were uncovered. 13-year-old Caroline Davis was raped and killed using strychnine. 23-year-old Teresa Walsh was bound, raped, and strangled. And another victim was so badly decomposed that she couldn't be identified. On top of these six females, the FBI found eight more possible victims by the same perpetrator who terrorized the town from 1972 until 1979. As for suspects, investigators were stumped and had little to no evidence. One, however, initially was that of Arthur Lee Allen, who was also believed to be the Zodiac Killer, who to this day remains at large. The Zodiac himself claims to have killed 37 people it was active in this part of the United States during the time, so it's possible. But investigators cleared him eventually, saying his DNA comparisons came up negative against the evidence in the hitchhiking murders. Another suspect was none other than Ted Bundy. Bundy did say he killed somewhere in California, but refused to ever say where. Moreover, the majority of the victims did die with Bundy's favorite M.O., which was to rape, strip, and strangle. He was also around Stanford University during that time where he visited slash stalked an ex-girlfriend in Palo Alto. Despite all these famous suspects, the Santa Rosa hitchhiker murders remain open to this day and the killer or killers is likely to still be out there. Number three, Billy Cook. William Edward Cook or simply Billy had a rough start to life. After his mother died when he was five, he and his seven siblings were abandoned by their father and left in an old mine. They were discovered by authorities and put in foster care, all except for Billy because of his explosive temper and deformed eye. Instead of being put in a home, he became a ward of the state. By 12, he had started getting involved with petty crime and when caught, he has to be put in a reformatory instead of foster care. He was placed in detention until 17 and then transferred to the Missouri State Penitentiary. After he was released, he reunited with his father for a bit and told him that he would live by the gun in Rome. He settled in Blythe, California and worked as a dishwasher until December 30, 1950. Lee Archer, a Texas mechanic, was driving when he stopped to pick up Billy, who was hitchhiking. After he got in, he robbed Archer at gunpoint and made him get inside the trunk. Luckily, Archer managed to escape by popping it open and jumping out, but Billy got away with the car. 
When it ran out of gas, he just left it on the side of the road and once again hitchhiked. This time, Carl Moser, who was en route to New Mexico with his wife, three children, and dog, picked him up. Cook forced them to drive around in circles for three days. Eventually, he killed the entire family and dumped their bodies in a mine shaft before heading back to California. When authorities found the Moser's vehicle, it was filled with bullet holes and blood. They also found the receipt for a gun under Cook's name, so they went in search for him. A deputy sheriff visited a motel where Billy had once lived with a friend. Surprisingly, it was Cook that opened the door and he immediately grabbed the sheriff's gun, taking him hostage. Cook then forced the sheriff to drive around without any destination, telling him all the details about the killing of the Mosers. He ordered him to stop, march outside, and lie face down in a ditch and said he was going to shoot him, but then just drove away instead. He took another motorist hostage named Robert Dewey, who was a salesman. While in the car, the two wrestled for the gun and the car veered off into the desert. Cook eventually shot Robert in the head, killing him, and even though authorities were aggressively trying to track him down, he managed to kidnap two other men who were on a hunting trip and forced them to drive across the Mexican border to Santa Rosalia. While they were there, the sheriff recognized him. Instead of making a scene, the police chief casually came up to him, snatched the gun from his belt, and took him in. At just 23 years old, Cook was sentenced to 300 years in prison for the Moser killings. He was also tried and found guilty in California for Robert Dewey's murder and was put to death in the gas chamber on December 12th, 1952. Number 2. Edmund Kemper Edmund's mother was an alcoholic who was always critical of Kemper and as a result, he always blamed his mother for all of his problems. The two would often argue and at one time she forced him to live inside the basement for fear he would harm his sisters. By 15, the troubled teen was sent to live with his grandparents on their farm in North Fork, California. He started using firearms, but his grandparents took it away after he had shot several birds and animals with it. With his budding rage, this sealed their fate, because on August 27, 1964, he shot his grandmother in the kitchen after an argument and then waited for his grandfather to come home. When he did, the moment he got out of his car, Edmund shot him too and then tried to hide the bodies. Afterwards, he called his mother, who told him to call police and tell them what had happened. He was arrested and released years later when he turned 21. Even though the prison doctors advised him not to live with his mother, he moved back into her house in Santa Cruz, California. He went to a community college and tried several jobs before landing at the Department of Transportation. He'd also applied to become a state trooper, but was declined because he was too tall at six foot nine and too heavy at 300 pounds. When Kemper worked for the highway department, he got hit by a motorcycle and severely injured his arm. So now, unable to work, he had lots of time on his hands, and he turned his attention to the young women hitchhiking in the area. He bought a new car and packed his essentials, like a gun, plastic bags, handcuffs, and a knife. Kemper started picking up hitchhikers and letting them go. According to him, he gave rides to around 100 to 150 hitchhikers before he got up enough courage to make his first kill. 
The first two victims were 18-year-old Fresno students, Marianne Pesch and Anita Lucessa. He drove them to a secluded, wooded area he was familiar with and handcuffed Marianne while locking Anita in the trunk. He first stabbed Marianne and admitted he was slightly embarrassed when he accidentally brushed against her breast. He apologized despite killing her just a few minutes later. He also stabbed Anita, and after that, their bodies were transported back to his apartment, where he posed them in a pornographic way before having sex with them. He then dismembered the bodies, dumped most of that by the Loma Preta mountain, but kept the heads, engaging in sexual acts with them before ditching them in a ravine. This would be Kemper's main MO with slight variations depending on the circumstances, and he killed four more women, all students, in the same way. However, his last two victims were not students. On April 20th, 1973, Kemper marched inside his mother's room while she was asleep and bludgeoned her with a claw hammer before slitting her throat. He then cut off her head, pulled out her larynx and tongue, and tried to dump it in the garbage disposal. He then took his mother's head, engaged in sexual acts with it, and screamed at it for an hour before deciding to use it as a dartboard. For the body, he had sex with the corpse before hiding it in the closet and going out for a drink. Once he got home, he invited Sarah Taylor Hallett, his mother's best friend, over for a cocktail and movie, but when she arrived, she was also killed. Oddly, Kemper turned himself in and told police about what he had done. At first, they didn't believe him and told him to call back later. Eventually, when they did investigate, they found he was in fact telling the truth. He was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder and requested that the judge give him the death penalty, but there was a moratorium against it, and so it couldn't be imposed. He was sentenced to life with eligibility for parole, and Kemper himself says he is not interested in ever getting out of jail. Number 1. Donald Henry Gaskins Because of his small frame, Donald Gaskins was nicknamed Pee-wee. But despite his impish looks and innocent nickname, he was a bloodthirsty and insane killer. Born March 13, 1933, Pee-wee had trouble at home where he was often beat up and abused by his stepfather. While in school, bullies sought him out, so at the age of 11, he quit school to go to work. That's when he met two other kids named Marsh and Danny, and together, they called themselves the Trouble Trio. The boys robbed homes, picked up prostitutes, and even raped young boys, threatening to kill them if they told anyone. One day, they all molested Marsh's sister, and once they got caught by the parents, Danny and Marsh moved out of town for good, leaving Donald all by himself. He continued to burglarize homes until 1946 when a girl he knew caught him. Scared she would tell, he struck her in the head and arm with an axe before fleeing. Ultimately, she survived and Donald was caught. He was put in reform school until the age of 18, and it was here that Donald was first raped himself and often beaten by the other teens because he was so small. Fed up with it all, he decided to take a stand by killing one of the most feared inmates inside. After six months in solitary confinement, he was released, and he went right back to burglary and committing other crimes. He was rearrested for raping a 12-year-old for which he served eight years. 
After his second release, he then moved to Sumter, South Carolina, which is where he began his killing spree. His first murder was a female hitchhiker in North Carolina because he got upset when she laughed at him after he propositioned her. He beat her up, sexually assaulted her, and then threw her body in a swamp, weighing it down with rocks. This was the first hitchhiker kill for him, and he was quoted as saying, It was the best I ever remember feeling in my whole life. By the early 70s, he had already killed 20 people in a similar way. He mostly preferred females, but would attack boys, and in one instance, even a baby. In his memoir, he said that his goal was to make the person suffer, sometimes keeping them alive for days just so he could torture them. Aside from these kills, he also committed what he termed as serious murder. These were the murders of people he knew or had personal connection with. Among his victims were his niece Janet, who was 15, and her friend Patricia, who was 17. Other victims included a 28-year-old pregnant neighbor and her two-year-old daughter. Gaskins was finally arrested in 1975 when an accomplice told police about Donald's special cemetery. He was forced to lead police to a plot of land he had purchased where they uncovered the bodies of eight victims. He was charged with those eight counts of murder and sentenced to death, which was later commuted to life in prison. Despite being in jail, he didn't stop committing murder. He was hired to kill a death row inmate named Rudolf Tyner. Tyner had killed an elderly couple while robbing a store that they owned, and Tony, the son of one of the victims, hired Donald to commit the crime. Being exceptionally good with his hands, Donald crafted a small device that looked like a portable radio. He told Tyner to hold it up close to his ear at a specific time, so they would be able to talk to one another. At the specified time, Tyner did as instructed, and Gaskins triggered the device, causing an explosion that instantly killed him in his cell. He's quoted as saying, The last thing that Tyner heard was me laughing. Donald was sentenced to death after this. He was killed by the electric chair on September 6, 1991. So there were four mysterious and frightening hitchhiker hunters. Hitchhiking could seem like a convenient way to get to your destination, but as these stories show, it's also extremely dangerous. Whether you're hitchhiking yourself or picking someone up, you never know who you're going to be traveling with or where exactly you'll end up. If you enjoyed this video, then please remember to subscribe to our channel. We have many scary mystery videos coming out each week that we're sure you'll enjoy. So thanks for watching, and I'll see you next week.